Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and a place where we delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today we're jumping back into our A to Z of improv and we're focusing on the letter E with our special guest, Emma Bird. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means that you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. It's now time to go off script and find out all about the letter E with Emma Bird. And please welcome this week's guest. It's Emma Bird. Yay! Hi, Ian. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Well, I'm very excited about having you back on the show. Oh, that's good to be here. Good to be here. Um, I'm just, just, just giving you the heads up. My dog is sitting right next to me, so you, there might be some barking at some point. We, we, we know, but we'll just have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Uh, Zoom is quite good at getting rid of those sorts of sounds. I find. Um, in, in a recent interview, um, someone apologised for the phone ringing and I had to sort of stop the recording, but I couldn't even hear the phone ringing. <laughs> they went off to answer the phone and like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, it didn't even come across <laughs> thanks oh, to <wow>. Zoom. <laughs> Great. Good. Well, <laughs> right. Well, we are here to discuss all things the letter E. Yes. And with you being Emma. Mm-hmm. Your name came up the most as a suggestion for when I put it out there and I asked people to put in suggestions for the letter E, Emma Bird came up more than any other suggestion. Oh my God, that's bonkers. Oh, well, that's very sweet. <laughs> so I, I, know you, like <laughs> I know you don't like to dwell on like focusing on you too much on the podcast, but from my point of view, you know, you are the person that runs LCI and everyone that's had anything to do with LCI, they've they've had something to do with you even if they came to classes that you weren't running those classes were only running because of you so i i will just ask you know, how does it feel to know that there is a community out there that exists because of of you creating lci to begin with um it kind of it, it i don't know i i don't know really it's a mixed it's just a mixed bag it feels wonderful because Loads of people have made um, such great connections with each other from friendships and beyond. Um, so and and really really lovely collaborations that have happened um, with people who came to LCI. So yeah, it, it does feel nice and warm and fuzzy um, feeling when um, to know that a lot of people um, right across all the eras and years of LCI a lot of people um you know it's made a real it's a made it's had a real impact upon their life so um yeah it feels good I mean I don't really I don't I don't really sort of like think about it too much in terms of it, it coming from me or or because my from my perspective it's like I just set up LCI in 2015 uh because it was something that I loved to do to improvise and to teach. And um, I'd only just moved back home from being living away for 25 years. So it was, um, 
it was just something that I, I mean, you know, I sat in my back, in my parents' back um, room thinking of a name, like, oh, what should I call this improv thing? And, you know, so I've got all those memories of, like, basically starting from scratch with nothing and 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 here we are I don't know eight nine years later um yeah so it's a wonderful thing what I really enjoyed was when I came to an LCI session a couple of weeks back there was a great cross-section of people from the year so there was like a group of the current batch there was a group from sort of the period that I was doing it. And then there was people from even before then. So it, it was, it was a great sort of celebration like of sort of the, some of the history of LCI. Yeah. Um, that, that, that was a great, that was a great session. It was a huge, uh, you know, a, a huge, big, I think it was 18 of us in the end. It was, it was really lovely for that very reason. I think I said that at the beginning of the session, didn't I? It's like, yeah. for me, I know everyone in that room, but I'm aware that some people from different eras don't know each other. So when they do come across each other at, at a drop-in, I it makes me really, really happy because people from different eras co coming together, it's just a it's just a great melting pot of experience and um and personalities that 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 are all connected to LCI but not necessarily to each other. So I like it when they connect with each other. <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the good things about the podcast actually is that you, you yourself, you know, uh, you know, you've interviewed a ton of people from the LCI community from different eras. So you also are like a bridge, you know, like, like I'm a bridge between these eras in a way. So are you, you're getting, you're getting to know people from, you know, all different walks of life. Um, and they, you know, they may, they might have gone off to do other things, uh, improv wise, but ultimately they all started at LCI kind of thing. And that that's a nice position to be in. Yeah. I've spoken with some people actually that have said, oh, I learned about that person because I listened to them on, on the podcast. Cool. So that's like, exactly yeah. what I wanted the podcast to be as well. When I, you know, that, that's what I said, wasn't it? At the beginning was I wanted a, a place where people could learn about each other because I mean we were just saying just before we started recording you know sometimes in sessions you don't have time to actually get to know people because you just have a quick drink before you do the session maybe a quick drink after if you can but ultimately you don't always know who, the people that you're improvising with you just have a strong bond for two hours during a session but finding out about people is why we is why the you know is why I wanted uh, an LCI podcast in the first place because that's what makes a community is learning fascinating stuff about people. Yeah, and the, the stuff that people have said as part of the chats on this podcast that their stories are amazing, like, and they need to be heard by the world, not just not just the people in the community. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our next. E, well, it's kind of two words because they're basically the same. Um, it's edit or edits slash editing. So okay. anything to do with editing. What What's your take on edits in improv? Um, I think editing is awesome. <clears throat> I'm sorry, that's Mabel growling. <laughs> editing is like awesome, um, essential, and an art form in and of itself. And it takes 
practice to learn how to edit. Um, editing in short form generally comes down, if it's in session with, and I'm leading the session, the edits will come down to me shouting scene. And I will look out for punchline. Um, I will look out for um, have the players established the who, what, where's, you know, does it, and I will just feel it in my body as well. And I also will edit if the scene's gone flat, if like the air out, the air has come out of the balloon. So that's editing in short form is like generally just look for a punchline um, and, and edit quite relatively quickly. Um, and that, that'll fall on my shoulders as the facilitator in a session. If you're a short form team, obviously, as you know, you, you, you're responsible for editing yourselves unless you've designated an MC for the show. Um, yeah, there's that. And then editing in long form, what I enjoy about teaching be um, sort of beginners in long form is that all of a sudden they start to realize what editing is and how to do it, when to do it, and why it's so freaking awesome. Like, why is editing so cool? Editing is so cool in long form because um, I always frame it as a gift. If you're in a scene and you're and you're sweep edited or tagged edited off, um, it's a gift because you never know what you're gonna get. You don't know what your scene partner, your teammate is is gonna do next. So instead of seeing it as a frustrating thing, which sometimes beginners can see being edited off as a bit of a an annoyance. So I always say instead of seeing an edit as an annoyance, see it as a gift because you don't know what's going to happen next. And it's like, whatever is going to happen next is bound to be exciting. Um, so let's embrace that, you know. So, um, and it, it, in long form editing is such a powerful tool uh, and it's essential that the team um, understand when to edit and have have the have the balls to edit. Like, don't hold back. Um, I'll tell you an anecdote. I used to, when I was living in Brighton and I was learning improv from the May days, um, at a certain point they asked me if I could edit their shows and they were performing at like the Comedia in Brighton, which is a big comedy venue. They asked me to edit their um, shows using lights. So there was a little lighting desk and you'd pull the lights down into a blackout and that was the edit. And the first time I ever edited for the May Days, I was absolutely bricking it because like this is the May Days and you don't want to cock this up because they are really, really a, a, an awesome improv team. Um, and I remember, I think it might have been Heather Urquhart and she just, we were backstage and and she said, whatever you do, Emma, um, edit sooner rather than later and, and, and don't worry, you're not going to get this wrong, you know. So I went, oh, okay, right, okay. And then and I just remember being on the desk, on the lighting desk, and I was going, in my head, I'm like, should I do it now? Should I do it now? Is that an edit? Should I edit? And I was sort of dithering a little bit. And then I remember Heather's just saying, edit sooner rather than later. So I just went bang with the lights and the lights came down. <laughs> and then, you know, and the audience clapped and they started a new scene and all of that. And at the interval, they, I said, how am I doing? And they said, absolutely brilliant, but you can do it even sooner if you want to. We're not going to get upset or offended if you edit and I'm like okay so so I sort of learn editing by doing it you know and doing it for like some really like awesome improvisers in a professional setting 
um yeah so editing is a skill it's a really fun skill to learn it's essential and it's a gift well i remember during the pandemic when we were online all the time i i took it for granted initially the fact that you were calling scene and then when i actually did one of the courses with you you taught editing as the, as a skill so yeah during during the pandemic i was doing sessions with lci it felt like every day at one point i was doing at least five sessions uh, a week along with lci and maybe a couple of other things at one point and for a long time i took for granted the fact that you were editing scenes I didn't even really register that when you were calling scene there, there was an art form to it and then when i, I joined one of the, the courses that you were running perhaps it was uh, one of the beginners courses one of the first ones i did i remember or maybe it was more when we did the intermediate level but there was a point where you taught the art of editing and up to that point i had taken it for granted completely never really thought of the fact that there is the perfect time to to when to do it and even when we were learning it I was really apprehensive to call scene because I was like, oh, what, what if that wasn't the best bit? What if there's, there's more good stuff to come? And you kind of just have to learn very quickly that if that felt good and you laughed, then yeah, yeah. they've done their job. You don't need to wait for more laughs. You, you don't need to, to wait for more highs. Just edit on that high uh, and move on. And um, I think... Leave, leave people wanting more, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. But I, I remember one of the first sessions and you'd given us it was a chance where you'd given us the the opportunity to to call scene and i think all of us we just waited too long we just yeah. didn't want to we just we were too british about it we just didn't yeah. want to <laughs> cut them yeah. off yeah. uh but and that's what i that's what i say that like lesson like session one of a, of an introduction to long form uh course i will always say let's not be british about this um and i always also say follow your feet you'll feel it you'll feel it in your belly or you'll feel it in your feet um when to when to edit you've got to follow your instinct um yeah because if you're waiting for like the next best bit it's too late if you know if you're waiting for the what if you know what if the next bit is 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 gold you know what if the next bit is even better it's like nah cut now <laughs> you'll make some you'll you're just about to create something else that is going to be gold so let's just create something else you know the only issue i have now when i'm watching a short film stuff and i'm the one that's in charge of calling scene is sometimes i get so engrossed in what i'm watching that i forget that i'm supposed to call scene <laughs> yeah that's true actually it you for editing you're using a different part of your brain i suppose that's something else to say about editing is is um you're using that slightly detached it's actually almost directorial it's a direct it's the director side of your brain that is different to when you're playing if you if you're a play, if you're playing in a scene you're in flow in in flow state um ideally and so you're not really aware of the of the of the outer ripple um you know you're you're right in the heart of a scene rather than in the in in slightly detached whereas uh, and that's the place you should be as a player is in the flow state in the middle of in the middle of it all 
Um, but yeah, to edit, you need uh, that slight distance um, and that directorial editorial side of your brain. And it's and it's it's hard if you're enjoying a scene. It's really hard to go. Oh, oh, crap. I'm meant to be editing. Oh, oh scene. you know, um, <laughs> it's really hard to remember that. But yeah. And like all good things with improv, it takes practice, doesn't it? I mean, the more you practice editing and perhaps sometimes you just get it wrong and that's okay sometimes you, you know sometimes it's fine you, but the the way of getting better at it is to keep doing it keep practicing yeah I think it's important what you said there about having that different side of your brain doing things because I find sometimes when I'm running sessions and there's a scene happening sometimes I have to force myself to not be as involved as an audience member because I need to be looking for that point where to edit, but also I like to always look ahead to what I'm doing next. So if I know, oh, this is the last time I'm playing this game, I like to just take a quick moment, get my phone out, look through the the plan. So it might look rude to some people, oh, he's just sat there on his phone. But what I'm doing is I'm just looking, okay, we've done that. I know what's coming next. Um, So I, I don't want to stand up and read from my phone to people. I want to have read ahead. So when that game's finished, I can get up and just talk to the people instead of reading from my phone to them. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I mean that, that that's similar, you know, as a facilitator you you're constantly um yeah, every every drop in session my my brain is going 10 to the dozen because I'm I'm observing and 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 calibrating and recalibrating um to every tiny little thing, every single thing that a person does in an improv drop in session in a scene I see you know so I see I see when they I see what their face is doing I see what their body is doing I listen to what their words are I'm looking at their stagecraft I'm calibrating have they established the who what where I'm calibrating have they are they listening are they giving and taking with each other as well as thinking and how long has this been seen been going on for right you know it's like yeah. the minutiae of the mental um the cognitive load as a facilitator my brain is going 10 to the dozen and that's why I'm always knackered at the end of dropping you know because my and my brain's been going over time because I'm looking and I'm and analyzing and observing everything as well as thinking ahead yeah 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 I think people yeah, don't just... understand what it takes really yeah. what you're taking on as a facilitator you're, you're taking on a lot yeah yeah as, and holding the space as well and and figuring out like is everyone um you know is everyone having enough playtime um and uh yeah and at the same time I'm waiting for the edit point I'm waiting to, for the point where it feels right to go seen like that so yeah, yeah there's a lot going on <laughs> well I'm gonna edit the edits and we're going to move on to our next word i love the fact that you did a swipe a zoom swipe edit when you said that you just moved and you swiped the screen with your hands i'm going to edit this conversation <laughs> now the next word i've got to admit i saw this word i didn't know what it meant i've had to look up what this word means uh, so i'm interested to know if you know what this word means um ephemeral do you know what that word means yes i do it oh, means a bit willy washy woolly, doesn't it? Ephemeral uh, means something you can't quite grab hold of. Uh, well, when I looked it up, it said lasting for a very short time. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ephemeral. Uh, so someone with a far better understanding of the English dictionary suggested that one. Uh, and Somebody that knows good words. Yeah. Suggested. So lasting um, for a short time, ephemeral. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful things about improv is that you create something in the here and now, very, very present, and then it goes and it will never be recreated. It will never be seen again. You you cannot possibly do that thing. What's you, you can't you can't repeat that. There is no other iteration of that scene that you've just done. It is that scene. It is complete. It exists and then it goes. And I think there's something really um mindful about that. It's like it's a, it's a nice mindful practice to remember to be in the moment. This scene only lasts for a short time. And I think, again, especially when working with beginners or people who like to control things or people who aim for perfection, I think learning to be okay with ephemeral, learning to be okay with something that's created for a short time and then discarded, I think that's a really good life skill. Because if, we, if we're the sort of person that wants to control things or likes to feel in control or um, uh, likes to hold on to their ideas in a really precious way um, or is aiming for perfection, I think it's very hard to, to be okay with stuff that exists for a short period and then goes. Um, so I think it's a really important life skill. This is okay. We'll create and it's gone in three minutes it's disappeared never to be seen again so it's something that you can't quite i mean that's just one interpretation of the word ephemeral i think the other thing sort of thing is lasting for a short time is is the you know the um yeah the the act of creation is it lasts for a short short time as well as being okay with discarding something that you've just created the actual process of creation is ephemeral um the actual, the chemistry, the X factor, the the mystery of improvisation, how it how it even works. You know, two people stand up, your suggestion, elastic band. All of a sudden, you've created a scene that's like two people in an old people's home holding their trousers up with an elastic band. You know, like how does that happen? Like that's just like the mystery of it all is quite ephemeral. So yeah, the process itself. Yeah, and the. The process and the product are ephemeral, both of them. And the way it lives in, in your brain as well, it can be very short. I'm trying to think back now, over the last few years, I've done a gazillion improv scenes and I can barely remember them. Like I, I did some scenes, uh, the last time I did improv was a couple of nights ago and I can barely remember most of what I did. I know I came home and, and I had a great night and I laughed a lot. And there's a couple of key things that every now and again, I think, oh, so-and-so said that and did that. Um, but I think the feeling stays with you, but actually what what happens in the sets that you're doing or the sets that you're watching, it's a very short term. It goes in, you remember it for a bit. There's, a, there's only a few scenes, I think, that really stick with me for a long time. And it might be because, oh, that was the first time a particular thing happened. That's the way my brain works anyway. I always remember during the pandemic, there was a scene that I was in. It was at one of the regular LCI 
drop-in sessions at the time. I was in a scene with Bridget and Joanna, um, LCI alumni that both been on the show. And I didn't speak in that scene. There was this whole scene and it became the game of the scene that they both had an issue with me. I, I was, I think one, one of them was playing my partner. One of them was, was playing a, a previous partner of mine. And this whole scene was sort of about me and I didn't say a single thing. And it was the first time I'd ever been in an improv scene and I didn't speak. And it was all down to my face and what I was doing to react. And anytime it seemed like I was about to speak, I got cut off. And that sticks with me because I think I learned a lot from that. So I think if I learn something, it stays there for a long time. Or if it's not necessarily a new thing, it, it's just ephemeral and it's just there for a short time and then it's gone. Yeah. And I think that sensation of like not remembering scenes um, is, uh, I, I personally just put that down to being in a flow state. So that, that idea of you being as a player, you're right in the center, you're so focused, you're, uh, you're so focused in the here and now that it actually sits, I think it sits in a different part of your memory system um it just sits in 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 the here and now part of your brain so then retention memory retention is is weaker you know um and i think that's a flow state i think that's being present and being in the here and now and being in a flow and i think uh, like i i completely relate i do not i generally don't remember any scenes ever <laughs> <laughs> when i was a beginner i did so when I first started doing, and I think this is a common theme with a lot of newbies, is they'll go home and they'll think about, oh, I should have said this and I should have done that. And I should, Oh, but then he said this and then I said that, but then I should have just done such and such instead. And you're massively ruminating over the coulda, shoulda, woulda, kind of what ifs, you know. And I think that's a real... Um, I think that's just part of the process of being new to improv because you're, you're holding up your self analyzing and self self reflecting and self critic criticizing often. And you're but I think it's a reflection of, of the person being in their heads as a beginner. So they're overthinking and they're trying for perfection. They're trying to get it right. Um, and they're not, they're not, they're not comfortable yet with, just creating something and letting it go, you know, that ephemeral process, create, discard, create, discard. I think beginners are, they struggle more with that concept of creating and letting it go, creating something. It might be crap. It might fail. It might not work, but it doesn't matter. Let it go. And then next time, create something. Oh my God, this really worked. This was awesome. This was brilliant. Now let it go. That that kind of process is, 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 it's harder to come to terms with when you're a beginner because you're still aiming for getting it right. You're still aiming to avoid failure. <laughs> yeah. And I think if, as improvisers, if we remembered everything that we'd done, it would be very hard to improvise because you'd be like, oh, no, I can't do a scene about that. I did that one just last week. Oh, oh a couple of months back. Uh, that was yeah. the that was the object I was given and that's what I did. So like, if you're writing like a show of some kind and yeah or or a regular sort of script like tv script or something then you need to think about that oh yeah well we can't write that because we did that in, in that episode back then but with improv because we just have to go with our instincts and if we if we remembered everything then we'd never 
try anything new because we'd be too in our heads. Oh, I can't do that because we did that too recently. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And you know, if you're if you're a writer, um, if you're a writer on paper, like writing a play or a book, you 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 write. And then you go back and edit, and that that's often where writing occurs, is in the editing process. Um, but in improv, we're writing in on the fly, in the moment, in the here and now. We are writing as we do, and um, we can't afford to be the editor whilst we're doing. You know what I mean? The mm. act of doing is different to the act of editing. Um, you write something and then you edit. You know, in as an improviser, they are all happening at the same time. We have to create, i.e. do, without editing because that's a different part of our brain. I mean, we edit things that are inappropriate. We censor ourselves because we have to, to keep people and things safe. Um, so we we do censor or we do edit and censor ourselves to a certain extent. But we're not, but, we're, but essentially we have to do and create in the moment. So we're writing in the on the fly. Yeah, and that's definitely. that's ephemeral. That's that is ephemeral. That's that's improv. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's ephemeral, and we're going to move on to escalation next. Cool. Um, yeah, escalation, or, or sometimes known as heightening. Um, so yeah, that's something. Uh, I mean, this is like the backbone of comedy. Escalation. You take one kernel of an idea. And then you heighten it or escalate it or raise the stakes. That's another phrase that's sometimes used. Raise the stakes and escalate a situation um, until it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it's absurd or it's hilarious. You know, it's, um, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, if you're not sure about what escalation is, I, I mean, the only one example, there's loads of, you look at any comedy, whether that's stand-up or sitcom or sketch, you'll see escalation. You'll see one idea that's then elaborated upon and escalated until it's just ridiculously funny. But a good visual example that's uh, slightly grotesque is the Monty Python character, Mr. Creosote, mm -hmm. who eats a restaurant, din uh, eats a restaurant dinner. Um, do you know this? Do you know this one? I can't remember which Monty Python film it's from. Uh, but he, I don't think eats, I do know it. He eats, it's from one of the films like, not Holy Grail, but one of them, Any meaning of life, maybe, I don't know. He eats and eats and eats, and as he's eating, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger, so he's escalating. Um, and then the, the, they push it to the final nth degree, which is he's added all his dessert and everything, and then Mr. Creosote asks for a wafer-thin mint, you know, like an after-eight chocolate mint. Yeah. He, he eats that and then he projectile vomits all across the all, all, all across the restaurant, right? And <laughs> that's like heightening and escalating one simple idea. The idea is a man eats overeats in a restaurant <laughs> and then he eats and eats and eats and eats and eats. And then the final escalation is he has a tiny wafer thin mint and pukes everywhere. So it, that's like a visual kind of uh, a visual example I suppose of grotesque escalation um, but yeah you can't have comedy without escalation I think it's funny it's that just... you went with Monty Python because in my head I went with Faulty Towers yes 
so just John Cleese in those situations where like really small things just turn yeah. into massive dramas. And for yeah. some people, it's actually uncomfortable. Some people can't cope with the, the stress of watching something like Faulty Towers because it's constantly just getting worse and worse and worse. Yes, yeah. It, 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 100%. It's one single idea. Every episode of Faulty Towers, at its heart, has got one central idea. It might There might be a subplot going on as well, but it's basically got an A plot and a B plot. But the A plot will be a very simple idea, like uh, Basil Faulty is trying to hang a painting, you know, <laughs> And then um, incident after incident after incident happens that's escalated more and more and more and more. All sorts of shenanigans until eventually he takes a hammer to the painting and destroys it or the painting falls on Manuel's head and Manuel collapses. You know, it's it's escalated to the point of absurdity. Um, but it's, it's, it's one simple idea. And I suppose how does that translate to improv? I guess that's like if you're in a scene and you realise that your pers- your character is a fuss pot. You know, maybe you've endowed yourself. That's another E word, endowment. Maybe you've endowed yourself as a fuss pot or your partner has endowed you as being a fussy person. Then that's it. That's the kernel of your single idea for character. My character is a fuss pot. Then the rest of the scene could be about an escalation of that character trait, you know. Everything that you do and everything that your scene partner does should escalate the idea that my character is a full spot. Make it worse. Just make whatever you're doing, do it again and then make it worse. And it's funny that you did say endowments there because it is on the list. So let's just jump straight into talking about endowments. Segway into <laughs> endowment. Endowment is one of my favorite things in improv. It's probably one of the most generous things that you can do as a player. So an endowment is to endow, i.e. to give someone a gift, something. Endow them as a fuss pot. Endow them as um, your sister. Endow them, your partner, as uh, your boss. Uh, endow your partner as, um, you know, a, a clumsy a clumsy clot, right? You can also endow yourself. Endow yourself with an emotion. I feel angry today. Endow yourself as a conspiracy theorist. They're all out to get us. You know, you can endow yourself just as much as you can endow your scene partner um, to give gifts to your scene partner that they can play with. Playable gifts is the most generous thing I think you can do in improv. And also it helps with clarity, doesn't it? Like if, if I'm in a scene and my scene partner says, oh, um, uh, oh, hello, um, headmistress. Um, I see your, I see your, I see your chain smoking out of the window again. You know, it's like a that tells me I'm. A, it's endowed me as a headmistress. B, it's endowed me as a really stress head headmistress that's doing something naughty. That's like three gifts in one there. Um, so all I need to do now is play that character, a stress head headmistress that bends the rules. You know, brilliant. What a gift. Um, so it's the most generous thing and it's playable and it makes it it makes improv easy it makes it easier i think what i've learned certainly in the last year is that's one of the hardest things to explain to children like i think adults understand it more but i've been doing a lot of improv with children in in the last year and some of the children around about eight years old 
and they just want to do that classic thing starts in hi hi how, how are you oh i'm fine thanks how are you and it's, it's the thing you hear talked about all the time not to do but it's very hard for that eight-year-old to think oh i'm building the story here and i think it's because although we're always encouraging imagination in children a lot of time in school they're just told what then what is required of them like oh we're going to do a school play right that's what it is you need to learn those lines so when it comes to sort of being on a stage they're so sort of programmed to not think for themselves that it's very hard for them to realize oh actually oh yeah i can think for myself yeah uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. That a, a school environment is so rule rule based um, that it's 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 hard, therefore, to get you know to get children to to um, to to work without any, without without the rules or break the rules. Like to improvise is to break the rules of a script, isn't it? If you have a script, then that's the rules. You you do the script, but to improvise, you're asking people to break the rules of the of that of that script but I think if in a school environment I'm sure that 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 would come up quite tricky yeah I don't know I I, I think it's hard for, for 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 beginners to understand the the power of endowment um and often if a scene is it, often if a scene is going is sort of a bit flat the thing that's missing is endowment that's often that's often what's missing. It's because somebody hasn't said either a how they feel about something, or they haven't given a gift to their scene partner that might elaborate on who they are or how they feel. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. often endowment that's like missing, which is why I kind of drill who, what, where, which is not the only way to improvise. There's a, there's absolutely tons of different ways of improvising. And some teachers will actively say, don't brick and bother with who, what, where. But for me, I, I, I do insist on that. I do drill that, establish a who, what, where, simply because it's, it's an active endowment and it makes the scene easier, particularly for beginners. It makes the scene easier if you know who you are to each other where you are and um and, and, and what's going on you know what what you're doing um yeah, yeah generosity of the highest order endowment i think for me it's just as an audience why do you care if you don't know what is going on and who these people are why do you care so the audience needs to care and that's what they get from the endowments plus there's that plus improvisers need to minimize their fear and I think if you you can minimize fear by endowing the scene with a who, what, with the who, what, where, you can mm. fill that information in and that in immediately reduces the amount of fear and panic moves that improvisers might make. I think uh, that's certainly my experience. If I, if I don't know who I am to, to, to my scene partner, if, if that hasn't been established, I'm a bit lost. You know, I'm a, I'm a very character driven improviser. So I need to know. I need to know the who, at least, you know, at the very least, I need to know who we are, you know, who we are to each other. And because it, it reduces my fear as an improviser, I'm like, oh, I know who I am now. So this makes this scene super easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Make it easy. That's my deal. It's like, oh, what can we do to make this scene easier? Oh, yeah, we can endow. Great. Let's do that then. <laughs> uh, right. We're going to move on to our next word, which is emotions. Right. Well, I mean, perfect, right? 
<laughs> I think they're linked. Endowment and, em and emotion are inextricably linked, really. Um, it's the same deal for me. Uh, emotion is like, if you don't know how you feel or how your partner, seeing partner feels, then what are we, what, then who cares? You know, um, we don't discover who you are. I don't discover who I am. You don't discover who you are if we don't know how we feel about whatever, you know, whatever the scene's about. Um, so uh, once again, if often if scenes are going flash, particularly with um, early stages improvisers, it's because nobody knows, nobody's made a choice about how they feel. Like just make a choice, any choice, any choice. Be sad, be happy, be angry. Go for some more nuanced emotions, you know. Uh, be content, be blissed out. You know, that's different from happy. So um, choose an emotion and commit. I'm going to swear, commit to, you know, whatever that, whatever the, <laughs> Ian's just pulled a face like, I'm going to have to edit that out now. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> commit, to the, commit to the choice. Let me put it that way. Commit to the choice. Make a choice and commit to it. How do you feel? How does your partner feel? And if that information is missing, stick it in the pot. If, if, if the information is missing in a scene, it's your job and your scene partner's job to fill in the gaps. And that might be make an, might making an emotional statement. I'm so hacked off today, Betty. All of a sudden, we've got an emotion we can work with. Um, I'll give you an anecdote. It involves a swear word. Um, one of my, fav <laughs> my favourite teachers was, Jane, uh, was way back, um, Rachel Mason from Second City. Um, she, she, she was over in London. She did a week intensive workshop. It was superb. And um, she used to call us all assholes. That's the swear word, Ian, just a heads up. Right, that one's okay. I think that one's acceptable. That one's acceptable. Um, so it was a term of endearment, you know, because she, she, you know, Rachel Mason's a Chicago sassy broad, you know. So she used to come and go, hey, good morning, assholes. Um, um, <laughs> and it was, it was very, very sweet. But anyway, favourite anecdote from her was no, uh, in a broad Chicago accent, no one wants to see you in neutral, assholes. Like that, which <laughs> basically means feel something. Feel some sort of emotion. Um, and in fact, that's what goes to the heart of a teacher like uh, David Rosowski. Uh, his methodology is feel something about what is happening. And, and, and it, once again, I come back to what makes a scene easier. What makes a scene easier is to feel something and say it. Not just feel something, but call it out. Say how you feel. Or endow your partner with a feeling they look like they, you today, uh, Ian, you you look like you're really uh, distracted today, Ian, you know, mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's not true. You look very focused. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I've just given you a, a, an emotion. I've endowed you with an emotion. You looked really distracted today, Ian. Brilliant. What a gift. There you go. Makes the, makes the scene easier. Yeah. I think from a performer's point of view as well, one thing I like just with any kind of acting in general is I like being something that I'm not. That's why I, I enjoy improv because I get to go and not necessarily be myself. I know a lot of what I do 
I do lean into what makes me me. I love a pun and that kind of thing and wordplay. And that does come out in my improv a lot. But I do enjoy when, let's say, I'm in a scene and I'm endowed as angry. I'm not an angry person generally. I'd, it's very rare that anything will really get me sort of animated to an angry point. So to then play an angry person and sort of let, let my body experience rage and stuff because I'm the sort of person that when I'm when I'm doing something, I'll fully commit. I'll feel the rage. It, it's fabricated rage, but I'll feel it because that's the way I perform. So, and it could be good. Sometimes it could be draining, especially if it's like a long form sort of set. But it, it's it's fun to experience emotions that you perhaps don't experience on a on an everyday basis, but it's in a safe environment to deal with it as well. Hundred percent. I mean, and I mean, I, I mean, really, that's like. That, that's what attracts actors to be actors. You know, I mean, I spent, you know, years being an actor. I mean, I still self-identify as an actor. So, you know, over 30 over odd years of being an actor, um, director, improviser, you know, in total. So, but that that's something that is really at the heart of being an actor is, or an improviser, because they're kind of the same thing, is, um, being given the opportunity to safely express emotions that you wouldn't ordinarily express, you know, and, 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 and being, and being safely enabled to do that, put on a different hat, you know, why be you in an improv when you, when you're you 24 seven, you know, we spend our 24 seven, three, six, five a year being you, being you, but for two hours, uh, my uh, drop in, for example, for two hours, you can spend two hours with a different hat on, not being you and, and expressing yourself safely in a different way. Like, that's the joy of it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I suppose uh, emotion is is at the heart of it. I, you know, I I direct theatre, you know, at the Royal Court in Liverpool, and it's, 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 it's like I can't imagine working on a script <laughs> and not talking about emotion. Like how can you how can you produce a play, direct a play? How can you work with actors? How can you excavate a, a character without understanding how they feel? It's emotion at the heart of everything is emotion. So it's the same in improv. Like you, you, the audience will get so much more out of watching your scene if you fe- if we we witness you feeling a human emotion. Because at the end of the day, we want to see stories that reflect us as human beings. So to watch two robots being robots without any expression of emotion is, I don't know what that is. You know, it's, it's <laughs> maybe it's an exploration of AI, but, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But if I'm watching, you know, a married couple who have been married for, for 60 years and they're still deeply in love um, and they, some, you know, they express that in that scene, that is a hu- that's two human beings expressing being human and that's that's reflecting to me and i i want to see that you know yeah there was something we did with uh brian palermo at his recent workshop with lci and we had to come into the scene and we had to have an emotion that others had to guess what our emotion was but he specifically said to us for one of them you have to pick something that you don't normally do or you don't normally get endowed with so I had to sort of sit there and think, wow, what is what is something that I don't normally get endowed with? And 
that in itself was, was an interesting process because then I was thinking a lot of the time you kind of get endowed with the same things because most people that come to improv sessions or improv shows without knowing it they're kind of like a hive mind and they'll always say the same things so then I had to really think what sort of character have I never really done and then I got to go and do it and it was it was a lot of fun because I, I found instantly oh I'm doing things I've not done before because I've never played this type of character before oh that's great what was it what was the word uh, I went with creepy <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, creepy would would make you do something you wouldn't ordinarily do. <laughs> That's so true. Um, you gave me a right curveball in that session. Actually, it was I was up doing a scene, and the the ask for from Brian was an emotion, a playable emotion, and you gave me one, and I can't even. I didn't even know what the word meant. What, do you remember what it was? I don't remember. Oh my gosh! And it, I found it so hard because I didn't really. Whim, was it whimsical or something like that? I think it was whim. It might have been whimsical or some a word like that. <laughs> but anyway, I found it really. I found it a, a good challenge, a really good challenge. I know. I know. I didn't. I didn't do very well with it, but I did. I. I appreciated that it, it was good to be challenged. Um. Yeah. Same. 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 I made that choice in in another scene in that workshop to give myself conspiracy theorist because I'm not a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so I thought. Let's give myself the opportunity to play a different sort of characteristic or emotion that I wouldn't normally play. Um, and I do remember that scene because I had such fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Just I want to say that the thing about not knowing what a word means, that is when online improv really comes into its own because you can very quickly just have a little Google sneaky it. Google while the game's being explained. But when you just stood on the stage in front of people, you can't just whip out your phone and be like, what does that word mean? The be the be one of the best things that I've seen, again, this is from Heather Urquhart from the May Days. So, um, she, she, she got some, a suggestion from the audience once. I remember seeing a gig. She got a suggestion and, and she said to the audience, now, of course, I know what that means, but for anyone else that doesn't know what that means, could you just explain what you mean by that? Which I just thought was such a great way of like, um, of, clearly she didn't know what it meant. Um, so, but it, what, what a great cover story. Now, of course, I know what that means, but for anyone else, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit like being a teacher. There's so many times children will ask me something and I'll be like, I could tell you, but what would you learn from that? Why don't you go and find it out yourself and then you come and report back to me? <laughs> That's so fun. <laughs> Great. Uh, just a couple more left. And this next one is eye contact. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, again, in especially in warm-ups, I um, drill eye contact games quite a lot. Um, largely because I'm aware that we don't, in everyday life generally look people in the eye for very long and that's kind of probably quite normal interaction because uh, it is a bit weird to kind of like just stare at someone you know it's a bit like ooh, what are you looking at <laughs> so um but for improv it's uh, eye contact in scenes is super important not necessarily eye contact actually what's important for improv scenes i think is um observing your scene partner checking in with them is another way of phrasing that check in with your scene partner at the, especially at the beginning of a scene look at them 
make eye contact if if that's required but just just getting used to checking in with your scene partner especially at the top of a scene but it is so important because you can garner so much information from that if if you if you don't look at your scene partner then you don't you don't know who it is and what it is that you're playing with so i suppose a way of doing that a, a way of drilling checking in is to do eye contact games at the beginning of a session plus i think eye contact games is are, are, are a good way of forging bonds with people and trust with people because you're asking people to trust people who don't know each other. So you, you're kind of looking for a quick in. And I think making eye contact with people in warm-up games is a really good way of making that bond, sort of cultivating a bond of trust. Um, so I think eye contact is important insofar as in scenes, checking in, observing making sure you're noticing the gifts that your partner is giving you. Um, and of course, the huge caveat um, is is for neurodivergent people, that eye contact is extremely difficult um, and if, if not painful or uncomfortable. So as a facilitator, one has to be, um, you know, sort of uh, attuned to how eye contact is actually not helpful for some people. So it's how do we, um, how do we, you know, how do we do those games or how do we cultivate the idea of checking in for neurodivergent people who might find eye contact difficult? And my answer to that is just to not force it. If I, if I know someone's in my session is neurodivergent or if I don't know, but I see that eye contact is difficult, then I don't, I, 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 I in no way enforce that. I don't, I don't force that at all. I, I don't, I don't make that happen. I just, I just accept people as, as they are. Um, so yeah, I think as facilitators, we should be careful or, or at least mindful that eye contact is not the most easy or comfortable for, for some neurodivergent people. Um, but for most of us, eye contact as an actor performer improviser is really key it just or not just eye contact but just checking in and observing who you're with in a scene is good yeah well i think there are some people that they're not necessarily neurodivergent but they do struggle with eye contact and i've had many conversations with people that through improv have have learned how to yeah. to have that solid eye contact to the point where they've got promotions in work because now they're able to give off a different, a different vibe when they go in for meetings with their boss or whatever, because they can look at them in the, in the eye. And sometimes it's a simple little change like that, which will yeah. change someone's perception of you. And I think there are a lot of people that come to improv to help boost their confidence. They're not there for the acting things. They're simply there because they want to be able to build their confidence and go into situations and know how to act on the spot and seem confident even if they're really panicking beneath it all and i think yeah i've i've spoken to lots of people who have benefited from simple things like having the confidence to look someone in the eye yeah and and i i think that's right i think um uh it exudes confidence and and uh, self-assurance and things like that when you can look people in the eye um, and there are and there are cheats as well. You know, if if eye contact is something that you do struggle with, um, 
just looking at somebody's bridge of their nose is is it it, it conveys the same um positioning if you like it looks like you're looking in people's eyes but the it's just a slight cheat to you can look at the bridge of the uh, bridge of somebody's nose and you can in and that will you know that's a kind of workaround if if direct eye contact is tricky yeah i think i i've said it on this podcast a few times when it comes to looking people in the eye but when i was a child i was painfully shy and a lot of people w would be surprised to hear that because they don't see me as a shy person. But what a lot of people don't realize is I'm actually still painfully shy. I've just learned how to exude a different sort of version of me for other people. But underneath it all, I'm still a, a really shy, introverted person. I've just learned to navigate life with a bit of a persona, really. <laughs> That's not necessarily what I'm really like a lot of what I do and people will say, Oh, he's, he's very eccentric or a bit of a show off or whatever. A lot of the time, what they don't realize is that is something that I've had to sort of create this external version of me, which isn't really me. Really what I want to do is just sit at home with the door closed, just with Seki, no one else. I don't want to talk to people. Even the show like gets me talking to people when I, there's times I just, don't want to sit, but I get to come and sit. I'm not looking directly into eyes, but I'm looking at the laptop screen, which is your eyes. Yeah. And it's really, really good for me to do that because otherwise I might just shut the world away completely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, these are the lovely little sort of life enhancing things that improv can give people, people who are, who maybe might be introverted or shy or um, have some people have social anxiety, et cetera. So, you know, there are gorgeous things in improv that can help people um, feel a little bit more confident with interaction. And I think, you know, looking at people's faces and uh, or eye contact or, or the, the looking, you know, bridge of the nose eye contact. I think all of those things are just like really helpful life tools for people. Um, yeah. And you do, you have to, you know, if you're naturally introverted, which, it, interestingly enough i am um it also it is uh you know improv's great improv's great for the for, for people i think there's a sort of misunderstanding or whatever that improv is for extroverts or performers or actors the majority of people who come to lci drop-ins are, are not actors in fact there's hardly ever any actors who come to drop-in um a lot of them are just ordinary you know every walk of life kind of folk, but a lot of them have got social um, anxiety or, or, or want to connect with people. And um, improv's great for that, as we know. Loads yeah. of friendships have been formed from, from the LCI community. So yeah, it's good. Well, most improv communities will forge strong friendships. Yeah. Uh, so within LCI, there's like this subgroups, for example, the Oikers is, they're like a family to me. Uh, we yeah. spend a lot of time together. We're always messaging each other. We've got each other's backs when when things go wrong. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's really important. Powerful, isn't it? Mm. Right, we're going to move on to our final uh, final word here. And now I I often like to throw in a game that begins with the letter. So I've chosen enter exit. <laughs> <laughs> I love this game. 
Enterexit as a short form game is one of, in my opinion, one of the most difficult, technically difficult improv short form games. Um, and I'll tell you for why, is this, the, the amount of acute listening that is required for in, Enter Exit is extraordinary. Like it's one of the most hardcore listening games there is. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Enter Exit, You'll have like, say like there's four or five people in the, in the scene. Every single person has got a special word, like a trigger word, that will either trigger them to enter the scene or when it's said, triggered, uh, triggers them off the scene. So it's up to the whole team in the scene to trigger their scene mates on and off, you know, enter and exit, on and off the scene. So not only do you have to remember everyone else's word, you also have to like weave those special trigger words into your dialogue and use them. She's going to bark. <laughs> yes, Mabel agrees. Um, you have to use those words judiciously. <laughs> so not too much and not too little. Oh, Mabel. I still I remember. <laughs> You might have to edit that um, that little spiel out, but or you can just have a dog barking in the background. It's fine. I'll probably just keep the dog barking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a fun, really super fun game. Once you understand like the game of the game, like the fun of the game, then um, you can trigger people on and off. Like uh, Dave Hodgson, I, I remember a couple of really great, great enter exits that he was in, where the, the whole game of the scene was that Dave's character was triggered onto the scene and immediately triggered off again. So he never actually spoke. He, he was just physically, I mean, Dave's a very physically uh, comedic um, act, character actor. So he, he, he would just physically um, be, come on stage and then he'd get triggered off. And so he'd, he'd pull a face and, and leave again. I mean, absolutely hysterical. It, when Enter Exit is done well, it's one of the, it's a showstopper kind of game. You know, if that's in your set, then it can be, it can be the finale game because yeah. it, it, it it's so super fun. But you just have to get, you just have to be really damn good at it for it, for it to be a showstopper um, game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Dave Hodgson because I was going to mention him because I still remember the very first time I played this game. It was in one of your online drop-ins during the pandemic and we played this game and I feel like I learned what the term game in the scene meant from this game because that exact thing happened to Dave. I still remember we were given the scene that we were in the the box, like the, what's it called, where all the rich people sit? The, <laughs> the box, at, like a football match. Um, yeah, VIP box. VIP box, yeah. That's where we were. And Dave never got to say a word because we kept sending him to the bar. And that was my first time encountering that game. And it, it still sticks with me because it still makes me laugh. Yeah. Just just Dave's reaction when he didn't get to speak because he, he was nearly going to speak and then he was sent away. And then, but he, he, every time he came back and he was offering people their drinks and stuff. And ever since, that's still, it's always a running thing with Dave that if he's in that game, he rarely gets to speak. His reactions are so fun. Um, I mean, I think that's, 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 that's the thing. It's like, I mean, I think you're right. That is 
Enter Exit is a great short form game to understand the concept, this improv jargon concept called game of the scene, where something becomes a repeated pattern in a scene. That's the game of the scene, you know, it's a repeated pattern. So Dave being um, triggered onto the scene and then triggered off before he's able to speak is the is is a game. It's a repeated pattern. And um I, I think it's a superb game to understand that um game of the scene. Yeah. But like but like I say, you know, it's technically really hard because there's four it's a group scene, four or five people. You your listening has to be so acute. And that's really hard to do when you're busy trying to sustain a narrative, you know, that you're trying to sustain the narrative of the scene as well as play the game, you know. Say, saying the words, the trigger words, it's super difficult, but super fun. Yeah, I really love that moment as well when someone, without meaning to, they trigger themselves because they've said their yeah. word and what they're saying. And then you see that moment of, oh, I have to leave. And then that's, <laughs> <fun. laughs> that's such a lovely moment, isn't it? And it, the funny thing about that is that human beings, we, we naturally repeat ourselves without realizing. So, um, you know, if your trigger word is asparagus, you'll you, you'll probably you'll probably immediately repeat. You'll probably say asparagus and then immediately repeat asparagus because that's ha- that, I think that's our natural speech patterns as as human as human beings, and we don't realize that except when we play enter exit. Then we realize, oh, human beings repeat. We repeat ourselves quite a lot without realizing. <laughs> And that's a good that's a good realization as well. It's like, oh, we repeat ourselves all the time. <laughs> and thanks for giving me another little word to edit there as well. Oh, edit the S H I T word out. <laughs> right. Well, um, we've entered, and now it's time to exit because that brings us to the end of our list of E's. Great segue. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's been really fun to have you on, and uh, I'm really excited about everyone getting to listen to this. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Honest to God, I could just, I mean, I just love talking about improv. So this is a great opportunity for me to just, to be an improv geek and, um, and uh, chat loads about stuff that I love. So thanks for asking me on again. And just before we do go, what's coming up with LCI that uh, the listeners might be interested in? Uh, As we're recording this right now, this will go out in a couple of weeks. So keep that in mind. Um, I mean, uh, the, the the next sort of thing that uh, in the autumn that is definitely planned is um, uh, just a long form continuance course, so a long form level two, because I've just finished teaching um, introduction to long form, um, and it was it was great, and the folks loved it and everything, and they wanted to continue, and it, so we're gonna we're gonna continue that in the in the autumn it's open to anyone who has got a little bit of long form experience um and would like to learn a couple of new uh, new formats i mean uh, uh, um or or a refresher so pe- perhaps people who might have been doing long form say before the pandemic or whatever and they they haven't uh, done it since and they just want a refresher on on th- on some formats so what we'll do is we'll just spend the first few weeks doing a couple of um, long form formats and then the next few weeks will be honing something a, a format that they really like and they just want to they want to really nail it and work on um so 
yeah, so a lot of the places are taken already by the intro to long form folks, but it is open to the wider community um, for anyone who wants to learn a few more forms or have a refresher. So it, it's not an introduction to long form. So the, the level two, you, you need to know your basics of long form because um, I just don't have time in this course to teach the basics. Yeah, I just have to, you know, push forward with with some some structures, um, and then honing the honing it. So that's what's next. That's definitely planned. I've got something up my sleeve. That's a huge project that I really want to get off the ground, but that's um, mm -hmm. that's on a bit of a slow burn at the moment. But um, hopefully, that's sort of a big project that might come come off within the next year or so um yeah uh, and the and dropping monday night improv short form dropping open to all is um happening every single monday um and that is literally suitable for all levels so if you're listening to this and you've never tried improv why are you listening to this <laughs> <laughs> but no seriously if you have if you are listening to this just because you want to listen to improv people geeking out about improv uh, and but you haven't had the bottle to try it yet then try it monday night seven till nine in liverpool city center or you can go to flincher funny bone which is every other monday that's ian's gaff um <laughs> go there uh but um yeah that's it really that's it and i've got another big not not lci thing but i'm directing another show at the royal court theater in liverpool um next february Ooh. that's a comedy called haunted scouse and um i think you'll like that ian because it's a pun yeah i like that <laughs> so my next sort of di uh, big directing job uh for the royal court theater is next february so come along to that if you want to but in the meantime come to improv yay <laughs> well that was great <laughs> uh really great to have you on so thanks for that you're welcome. Thanks. I'll come anytime. That's it's really nice just chatting. Well, there we go. Another amazing chat. Thanks so much to Emma for coming on. What I really love about talking to Emma is, you know, she really knows her stuff. This is someone that's been doing improv for so many years now, but not just doing it, you know, teaching it. She studied it. She's she's learned from some of the best and yeah, she's just this deep well of knowledge and it's it's really fun to break things down and get her perspective and I hope you enjoyed listening to that as, as much as I enjoyed listening to that and, and hearing it from her as well so thank you so much to to Emma you know what, what a great conversation and isn't the A to Z going really well so far so now we've done A to E and we've heard some great perspectives and all sorts of different words related to improv and I look forward to continuing this series as the weeks, months, years go on and yeah, seeing, seeing where we go and where the conversation takes us. We will of course be back again in a couple of weeks and I'm really excited about bringing another episode to you. So if you want to know what the next episode is about, you're going to have to come along in a couple of weeks and find out for yourself. 
Don't forget, if you are new to this show, then go back and listen. We've got all sorts of great episodes, loads of great people in the RCI community. They've got great stories about how they got into improv, how improv has helped them. And we've got all sorts of different topics. So if, if you want to find out about a particular improv topic, then go back and see if we've spoken about it. Go back and listen to the previous A to Z episode so far because there's a wealth of of information and great insight from some fantastic people just go back into the show archives if you haven't listened to every single episode that has come before this one now if you are a member of the SCI community and you'd like to be a guest on the show then please get in touch with me or with Emma Burt and we'll make arrangements as soon as possible because I would love to talk to you I want to hear your improv journey I want to hear how improv has affected your life in some way shape or form or I just want to talk about improv and talk about specific topics. If you've been on before, great, we can find something to talk about. Maybe you can do one of the A to Zs. If you've never been on and you want to come on, then I want to have you on. If you're part of the LCI community, then I want to hear your story. And Emma said towards the end of her chat there, what's coming up for LCI? So do keep looking on the LCI website. It's a Liverpool Comedy Improv, so you can find... www.livepoolcomedyimprov.co.uk and on socials everything is at Live Comedy Improv and this show has its own specific Facebook page just go to Facebook and search for the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast and you'll find everything you need to know and if you're listening on Apple or Spotify please leave us a 5 star rating write us a nice little review there of of a positive inflection because it's little things like that that really help to boost our profile get our name out there and your support is greatly appreciated if you want to find out what i'm up to in life then you can stalk me on social media and pretty much wherever you would expect to find people on social media facebook twitter instagram youtube uh, linkedin tiktok all of those things just search for at ian luke jones and of course i have my own website now so you can find uh, all of the things that i'm up to uh, on there you can follow my voice over journey my voice acting journey on there just go to www.inlookjones.com lots of exciting things coming up in the future and that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode i just want to say a massive thank you for everyone that has listened today everyone that listens in general and keeps supporting the show thank you i really appreciate it every little like and share that you do i see it all it means a lot to me so thank you very much and that pretty much brings us to the end See you all again in a couple of weeks and yeah, more great episodes coming your way. It just keeps going from strength to strength. This was episode 93, episode 94 uh, is going to be just around the corner. But before we go, here are some words that are wise, wise, wise. Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv and yes and... <laughs>